either one of these any good? I don't watch movies. Well, have you heard anything about either one of them? I find it's best to stay out of other people's affairs. You mean you haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these? Nope. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. In this lesson, I'd like to go over words and expressions you can use when you discuss movies with other people. I know everybody loves movies. I love movies. I'm sure you love movies. And there's lots of words that have to do with movies that you might not be familiar with, but they're very good to know if you want to talk about movies with your friends or whoever. No way. Yes way, Ted! Oh, yeah. Morning. 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 What's new? Not much. Morning! 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 Frank for just asking what's new. Why are we here? What's life all about? Is God really real? Or is there some doubt? Well, tonight we're going to sort it all out. For tonight it's the meaning of life. Come in. Come on, Lord here. That's it, jolly good. Come on, come on. Spread round there. Who are you? I'm the husband. I'm sorry, only people involved are allowed in here. What's the point of all these hoaxes? Is it the chicken and the egg time? Are we just yolks? Or perhaps we're just one of God's little jokes. We're so Throughout history, there have been certain men and women who've tried to find a solution to the mysteries of existence. Great. And we call these guys philosophers. Oh. And that's what we're talking about. Right! Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Well, you look like you're getting the idea. So why don't I give you these uh, conversation cards? They'll tell you a little about philosophical method, oh. names of famous philosophers. They are, uh, have a nice conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Is life just a game where we make up the rules while we're searching for something to say? up and down the square! That is, unless any of you got anything better to do. Well! Anyone got anything they'd rather be doing than marching up and down the square? Atkinson, what would you rather be doing, Atkinson? Well, to be quite honest, Sarge, I'd rather be at home with the wife and kids. Would you now? Yes, Sarge. Right, off you go. For millions, this life is a sad veil of tears. Sitting round with Rian, nothing to say. 
American. You always talk, you Americans. You talk and you talk and you say, let me tell you something and I just want to say this. Well, you're dead now, so shut up. Why? Why are we here? And just what? 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 What do we fear? Well, so why for a change. Facebook friend of mine or was and I would occasionally see posts that were on the real shit things that were kind of forwarded or uh, shared from there and uh, me being movie nerd in a way I kind of wanted to get in on on that fun and I joined just based off of seeing kind of some of his stuff so that's so dope that's like the dopest feeling just being out there you know because I made this group for my friends like me and my friends I used to do text message movie (laughs) trivia Rylan did I ever give you text message no Oh, I'd have been all over that. You know me. That's early. That's early. That's like 2005, yo. Damn. Andrew Boat is right. There is only one 10 out of 10 movie in the entire sphere of films. Predator. <laughs> Man. Well, all you're going to do is give Andrew a bigger head. That's all you're really going to do. If he wants to take a little bit of that credit for establishing that as the summit that everyone is trying to get to, he's absolutely correct. So I'll give him that credit there. You just wait till he hears this podcast. He's going to let us know. Not wrong, guys. Island are split on DC and Marvel. I'm, I'm more of a DC guy. I gave Wonder Woman like a 9 out of 10. <laughs> I'm wearing a Wonder Woman shirt right here. I love the character. I, I, there's things that I did like about that movie, but... Uh. You know, like, quick question. Like, how many people died in the movie Poltergeist? Uh, I don't remember Poltergeist beyond the creepy little girl. I'm going to say zero, Charlie. Nobody died. Zero people died in Poltergeist. There you go. But it's still one of the scariest films. The clown scene? Stupid. I implore you to go uh, revisit it. It's such a great film. Toby Hooper, Steven Spielberg produced it. So, I mean, you know it's got some money behind it. I would bet it's probably a movie that I own that I haven't revisited. Pretty good recommendation. I'll check it back out for sure. So, um, y'all ready to do this? Sure. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spitting the Real Shit, uh, the only weekly movie podcast made exclusively by, for, and about the online Facebook group, The Real Shit. Uh, you are catching us on a very special day, because this is our 38th episode ever, and this week we are asking the big questions. Uh, what, why, how, 
And we do it with laughs and a fellow film fan as we explore the meaning of life created by the legendary comedy troupe Monty Python. Uh, we explore the history, the legacy, and the philosophy of the film, as well as a fun round of recasting for a classic 80s comedy. Uh, my name is Charlie Thompson, founder, administrator, and bracket master of The Real Shit. And joining me, as always, is my co-host and fellow administrator, the midnight movie maniac himself, Rylan Johnson. What's going on, man? Triple M in the house, baby. Let's roll, boys. How y'all doing? You doing good? And joining us this week is longtime Real Shit member, Andrew Edwards. Nice to finally meet you, sir. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and it is an honor, fellas, let me tell you. <laughs> Man, we appreciate you and your time. We love the interaction, and you've always been a part of the voting and the brackets and giving your opinions on posts that are non-bracket types and really helping keep the flow of communication going. So wanted to kind of reach out to you and see who you are and, and how you came to uh, come across our little film fan sandbox. I was lucky enough to have a friend on Facebook who was a member of The Real Shit, Robert Haberstrow. And I saw some of his posts that he would share from you guys, and I thought they were fantastic. And me being the the weird internet creep, I, I was like, I got to get in on this. And, uh, and I joined, and, and I've, I've loved the ride ever since. And I've pestered as many friends as I can to say, hey, you guys need to get on this too, because it's fantastic. The random posts or memes that are constantly coming across, as well as, of course, all the brackets. And now that you guys have started your podcast to do kind of deep dives on stuff that's great thing to be a part of uh, we had matthew smith on a few weeks ago i've known him on the internet for nearly a decade and then finally getting to talk to him we still talk after this show so it's like we're making friends man it's just so dope to be able to do this and uh just having this hobby that just creates a great social atmosphere i think i think it's so cool what the fuck is the internet the internet is a communications tool used the world over where people can come together to bitch about movies and share pornography with one another. This is a site populated by militant movie buffs, sad, pathetic little bastards living in their parents' basement, downloading scripts and what they think is inside information about movies and actors they claim to despise yet can't stop discussing. Actually, uh, industry news, there's not a whole lot going on, but Marvel dropped a great anthology trailer that gave kind of a history of, you know, the whole movie franchise and then gave previews of Phase 4 going forward. I love being with people. It's the most incredible thing in the world. What are you doing? Oh, this is nice. That world may change and evolve. But the one thing that will never change, we're all part of one big family. We are Groot. That man next to you, he's your brother. That woman over there, she's your sister. Higher, further, faster, baby. That's right. part of one universe Wakanda forever! that moves ever upward and onward to greater glory on your left
running from my past. Black Widow, Shang-Chi, The Eternals, Angelina Jolie's coming back into a film. Uh, so that'd be exciting to see. But I kind of wanted to ask you guys, what are y'all's thoughts on the Marvel Phase 4? I mean, they've been off for about a year. The TV shows have had a couple of runs now, but we're finally getting back to a feature film with Black Widow. What do y'all expect since the death of Iron Man? Honestly, I'm not exactly sure what to expect with this next phase of Marvel. I think the thing that has kind of stuck out to me is who's going to lead the next level of this universe. For years and years, you had Robert Downey Jr. playing the Iron Man role, and he was the backbone of not only his movies, of course, but Captain America Civil War. They really used him to prop up Tom Holland's Spider-Man as well. I did listen, kid. Who do you think called the FBI, huh? Do you know that I was the only one who believed in you? Everyone else said I was crazy to recruit a 14-year-old kid. I'm 15. No, this is where you zip it, all right? The adult is talking. What if somebody had died tonight? Different story, right? Because that's on you. And if you died, I feel like that's on me. Kind of curious where you're going to go from here. Who's going to kind of take those reins post-Endgame? Right, because in the narrative, Black Widow is deceased. She's dead. It's like a retcon, basically. That means nothing to the future of the story. And so then we have uh, Shang-Chi in Legend of the Ten Rings, and the Ten Rings kind of sounds Infinity Mm Stones-ish. I am inevitable. The possibilities are endless with Marvel. There's so many characters. There's so many different ways you can go. For being such a big comic book fan, when you take the big hitters, the Captain Americas and the Iron Mans out of this, can these, you know, Shang-Chi's and Black Panther without Boseman, and, and can these go on? I'm super excited about another Thor, and, and Spider-Man 3's got all this hype bringing back some of the old Spider-Mans, and Guardians has always been one of my favorites. It's usually one of the most fun out of the mix, so I'm excited about another Guardians. This Loki TV show looks exciting. I got really into yeah. WandaVision. Uh, I thought the, the writing was original. It was kind of a really cool original concept and idea. They did really well with that. But yeah, let's see what the next five years holds. You never know. Kid! Hey, kid! What the hell happened here? With this show that we do, Ryland, you know I'm just a movie guy. So with Marvel rolling out these eight-episode, six-episode television format presentations of their characters, what, what do y'all think about that format? Do y'all like that, that, that super long-burn, deep dive into these characters? I think what's happening is these Netflixes and, and HBO Maxes, they know how much money they can make off these TV shows versus a standalone movie. So I think it's the wave of the future. I think there's going to be a lot more TV miniseries going on than you're going to see two or three movies over a six-year span that takes a lot more money to make. On one hand, I think it's honestly it's a great time to be a comic book fan because of exactly what he mentioned they're going to use as many of the back-level characters they can. If As long as these shows do well and they get viewers, they're going to keep cranking them out. It's incredibly uh, exciting to kind of see them fill out some of the backstories. Like, I watched all the Netflix, the Daredevils, and some of those they did a great job with. But every single one of them was about two or three episodes too long. If Disney can conduce that like they've done with these first two, where it's six or eight episodes, that they eliminate as much filler as possible. And it's a nice little package where it's going to tell a concise story and you don't have all that ancillary garbage to fill out a 10 episode season. If they can keep doing that, I'll be in every time. The stories they can tell and the budgets that they have for some of these shows now... It's pretty impressive what they're able to put out there. It's not exactly the same quality as if you went to the movie theater or $200 million MCU movie, but Falcon and Winter Soldier budget and the WandaVision budget, 
they're spending real money to make these shows and make them look great. So yeah, yeah. I long for that ride for sure. Are you a comic book fan, like of the the actual comic books? I grew up as a comic book fan, but primarily DC. When you're a comic book fan, you bleed over into just about anything. So if I like go behind me and into one of my closets, I'll find plenty of Marvel stuff. But my my heart stays with DC. I'm sorry. So since we got you here. What are your thoughts on the DC Entertainment Universe right now? The state of the universe right now, uh, Mm. DC has no idea what they're going to do with what they've got. They're trying to do a new version of Superman when, to me, Henry Cavill, the best actor that you could ever have portray Superman ever. And to this point, they've kind of botched him. I love Snyder Cut of the Justice League, and I thought that was incredibly well done for the mess that it initially was. If they're just going to kind of let him go and try to replace it or kind of try to tell a different story, honestly, it's a really damn shame. It's almost like the Superman 4 being the end of Christopher Reeve. I guess your friend doesn't know his own strength. Uh, Clark, this is Paul. He's a trainer here. Nice to meet you. Hey, I got just the thing for you. Over here, Clarky. Clarky? Who knows what the new Batman movie is going to be like? It could be great. could be bananas. I'm really excited about what Robert Pattinson is going to bring to the Batman role. That one's probably number one on my list. Because like I said, we know what we're getting with Marvel. DC is going to have to do something drastic to keep up. You know, bringing in a lot of villains, which I like. Riddler, Penguin. I've heard that Catwoman's going to be in this one as well. So, yeah, I'm really stoked. Batman's my boy. I mean, that's my number one guy. So any new Batman flick coming out, I get a little bat boner. So let's go. What is the price for your blind eye? Speaking of of Batman, I'm just kind of curious. I actually thought Ben Affleck as Batman was fantastic. We were robbed not getting a standalone Batfleck movie. He wanted to write. He wanted to direct this thing. And I think he would have done a fantastic job of it. When he first heard Ben Affleck was going to be Batman, everybody was like, wait, what? But he just he did such a good job. And and to not get a standalone film really, really pissed me off. He would have been a perfect Dark Knight, like Frank Miller's Dark Knight. And they just they couldn't get it done. But that's Hollywood for you. Well, y- y'all remember the like Batman the animated series, right? Yep, I'm a huge like, fan. Affleck's build it was just perfect for that. Like he just he was real like shoulder heavy, just a brick shit house. And that's what I always saw in the drawings of Batman. Just a fucking monster, you know. That's why I love the Batfleck because everybody else was just kind of scrawny. Like they had to be scrawny to fill in the suit. Of all the versions of Batman that have been on screen, the little melee fight scene in Batman versus Superman where he's running through all those guys to get to Superman's mom or whatever, that yeah. five minutes is the best on-screen <laughs> Batman ever. Oh, it's incredible. That's perfect Batman right there. Well, fun fact about this show. For years, Rylan had been hitting me up about doing this show. He's like, we got to do it, man. We got to do it. This was before Batman v Superman came out. He was texting me saying, dude, we got to do that podcast thing. (laughs) And then his immediate next text was, you see that trailer for Batman v Superman? That Batman loft fight looks fucking sick. Tell me. Do you bleed? 
that's how far back we've been talking about this. <laughs> but we got to talk about some group news, guys. We got the Buddy Cop Racket coming in. Andrew, thoughts on the Buddy Cop Racket? What do you think? You think it's going to be a good one? I'm excited for it because these movies are right in my wheelhouse. I grew up as kind of a, a kid of the 80s. Uh, I was born in 79. You know, 80s is kind of the heyday for the buddy cop flick, or at least when they really got going. So I'm, I'm excited about it. I think Lethal Weapon is going to be a big player in this. Get in here! Hey, oh, okay, no bullshit. You want to kill yourself? Oh, for Christ. Shut up! Yes or no? You want to die? Yes or no? I got the job done. What the hell do you want? You didn't answer the question. Oh, what do you want to hear, man? Do you want to hear that sometimes I think about eating a bullet? Huh? Well, I do. I do. I even got a special one for the occasion with a hollow point. Look, make sure it blows the back of my goddamn head out. Do the job right. Every single day I wake up and I think of a reason not to do it every single day. You know why I don't do it? This is going to make you laugh. You know why I don't do it? The job. Doing the job. Now, that's the reason. Well, you know, there's going to be a huge helping of Shane Black in this whole bracket. You got Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. You got Lethal Weapon. You got Long Kiss Goodnight. He's the buddy cop master. Shane Black, he's the creator of Predator. If you ask Andrew Boat, it's the most perfect film ever made. And Shane Black had a hand in that. And he also had a hand in popularizing the uh, buddy cop genre. So the bracket starts uh, May 31st. The preview is going to be on the 21st. But I did want to talk about something bracket-esque, if I could. I'm going to bring up uh, another name that I brought up before during the group choice episode. Remember uh, Robin Putnam? He had made a comment about the brackets and how he had an idea for a bracket. Film scores, I believe. This is not the first time I've ever been hit up about an idea for a bracket. I realized that early on whenever I started doing this, people want to put their input in. And I get that. I totally get that. But at the stage we're at now, the work that I put in, it's it's very focused and I have a long-term plan with the second bracket of champions. And so I have everything planned out like months in advance. And so I'm just trying to keep this chain going. Uh, Buddy Cop Racket's coming up. I have another one right after that. I've already got that one cooking. So his complaint was about the lack of communication through their requests. It's me working hard to make sure rackets go off without a hitch because if I get lazy, if I decide I don't want to do it, if I'm having an off day, if, you know, if I just can't deal, I still got to make a bracket post. I want it to be something that's fulfilling for me as well as my audience. And so it's kind of hard to do like an on-demand bracket. It takes a lot of planning and everybody seems to be happy with the final product. So. You know, it, you do all this mainly on your own, Charlie. You got a family, you got kids, you got a, two podcasts going, you got a full plate. So I love people having ideas and being interactive, but you know, at the same time, it's a process that's kind of your deal. You're the bracket master and everybody enjoys them so much. It's great throwing some ideas, maybe down the road, but you know, for us to just say, oh yeah, for sure, we'll, we'll work on that next month. It's just, it's not right. feasible. It's no offense to anybody that throws out ideas at all. Me and you, if you ever listen to our podcast, we're not those guys. We, we just like talking about movies. Charlie will tell me something new every show that I don't know. And I'm not going to be the guy that acts like he knows everything. And that's what's fun. Well, the thing is how I have a perspective of somebody who doesn't know us, Ryland. Andrew, I would love to get this feedback. I've kind of always liked the bracket system and the way that you kind of tease it initially and then roll it out. Like everybody else now, as soon as you tease something, I'm like, all right. I want to get to the, let's okay all right yeah. which is going to be the first let's let's do this but i would say it's it's actually kind of to you all's credit that the group that you've established and kind of the living breathing thing that this this real shit deal is 
Mm. It's neat that me, random me, can post something and, and make a suggestion that will be acknowledged. That's a big deal. You might throw a bottle into the ocean on a lot of these things, but this is an actual living, breathing thing where there are real pe people that are going to respond to you. And if you put in suggestions, just the fact that it's something that you, you're taking your time to, to consider or even think about, that's kind of cool, actually. And, and I'm always game for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would love for people just to explore. If somebody's crapping on something and then they find out they've never seen that movie, it's not like they dogpile on you. They're like, dude, go watch it and come on back and we'll talk about it. Yep. I love that feel of it, of just like the water is fine. There's no animosity whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I just want to be able to address it. And so, yeah, that, that's it, guys. But yeah, Buddy Cop Bracket, May 31st. You can hear that saxophone already. My voter's choice is going to be Lethal Weapon 5 from Always Sunny. You into getting handcuffed? PD, homicide. <gasps> we hear you may have some information about one of your Johns might be poisoned in the water supply. How'd you hear that? People talk. Looks like your big mouth got you into trouble again. <laughs> I ain't talking to no pigs. Oh, oh, what the, what the hell are you crazy? There are gonna be two voters choice spots in this bracket, Bad Boys 2, uh, Lethal Weapon 3, do you think they should even be considered or should the franchise be represented through one film? Because last bracket we had next Friday and I've seen that old school has become a meme now. So I'm excited, I can't wait to see, you know, who makes the advancements and all that kind of stuff. But to continue the show, guys. Andrew, you wanna play a game? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you guys didn't even mention that there's the new, what is it, Spiral movie coming out? You like teasing a lot of stuff with the Saw reference. Curious to see what Chris Rock does with, with Saw. All units, officer down. Detective Banks and Ralph. Whoever did this, they're targeting dirty cops. I'm gonna throw up, don't do it on the evidence. I'm gonna let them spin like a spiral. Somebody's pulling all the strings. I don't got no love for no rival. Jigsaw didn't target cops. Put them on the news, he went viral. This is something personal. You wanna play games? Spiral from the Book of Saw, rated R. Everything Chris Rock has, has done, I've always applauded. Like, Pootie Tang, it's so incredibly unique. Anything Chris Rock does, I'll watch. I hear that. Now, Pootie, a lot of young artists, really, say that you are their inspiration. Well, I can't say that they know my brother. What a tie. There's been no real footage of any kind of torture. It's been very well marketed. I, I like the hush-hush about it, because like I said, nowadays, God, you, you see way too much before the movie hits. Yep. I try to avoid all that stuff, and, and I'm very excited about this one. I was a huge Saw fan. How many did they end up making? Was it eight or they nine? I would have said eight. The remake was the eighth version. And then so the spiral would be the ninth film in this franchise. So, yeah, and it's, it's, it's getting uh, Fast and Furious numbers. Ask any racer, any real racer. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. This game is 
pretty simple, but I found it to be pretty fucking tough to be able to pull off, which is recasting the three main leads in the classic 80s comedy, Three Men and a Baby. Tom Selleck, Steve Gutenberg, Ted Danson. Touchstone Pictures presents a comedy about three dedicated bachelors and the one woman in the world they couldn't live without. Good night, sweetheart. Well, it's time to go. Three men and a baby. I think she did a doodle. Your turn to change her. I'll give you a thousand dollars if you'll do it. If you remember the movie, it's got Tom Selleck, Steve Gutenberg, and Ted Danson, respectively, in those three roles. And so I would be curious to know, fellas, what y'all thought a recasting of this film would look like. Andrew, as our guest, I would love to hear what you thought. You know, when you gave me this option or the the hypothetical of recast this, I think my mind initially was still on the stoner bracket, and I actually thought <laughs> it would be really cool to see like Cal Penn, John Cho, and Neil Patrick Harris as the three guys taking care of a baby. Dude, where's my car? Where's his car, dude? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I told you last night I was tripping balls. I don't know what came over me. Your car's in the parking lot. Here are your keys. Did you realize what the hell we had to go through after you took the car? Yeah. It was a dick move on my part. That's why I'm paying for your meal. Even if you go with the Pineapple Express cast of Seth Rogen, James Franco, and Danny McBride, there would be gold to be mined there. You can just do the the Hangover cast and call it a day. <laughs> True. And I'm, I'm stealing a little bit of this from my wife because I bounced it off her. Her initial suggestion was Chris Pratt, Chris Evans, and Jake Gyllenhaal. And I actually kind of said, you know what? Let's just go all Chris's and go Chris Pratt, Chris Evans, and Chris Helmsworth. Avengers! Assemble. I think actually all three of those guys, they're great in the MCU movies, but they are great in everything. All of them are charming in a way. If you put all three of those guys together... I think it would be a lot of fun. Well, you got to place them, you know, like um, Selleck's character was very single, very man about town, very successful guy. Gutenberg, who was the light comedy, he was the artist. And then you had Ted Danson. He had that swag, yo. So so how would you place the Chris's? Let's see here. Uh, let's go with Helmsworth in the Selleck role. Do I want to go Gutenberg Frat or Gutenberg Evans? I'm going with Chris Evans as Gutenberg, and then let's let's end with uh, Pratt taking Ted Danson's spot. Evans taking the cut-up spot. I like it. I like yep. it. Ryland, uh, how would you recast Three Men and a Baby? This was tough, but I had fun with it. I, I, you know what's funny is I grew up more of a Three Men and a Little Lady fan. It came out in 90s, so I think I watched that when it came out. Anyways, it's funny that uh, Andrew picked Chris Pratt because Pratt's in my group, too. I got... Chris Pratt, I've got Bill Hader, and then I'm gonna throw in Robert Downey Jr., man. This is where you zip it, all right? The adult is talking. He's just Robert Downey Jr. He's awesome in everything he does. It's called charisma, is what he has. For sure, he oozes charisma. He's Mr. Charisma. So I'm gonna say Chris Pratt, if he grows a mustache, can take the Selleck role, but he has to grow a a really good mustache to pull this off. And then uh, the Gutenberg role, I'm gonna give to Bill Hader. I think he could pull off a Gutenberg for sure. And then I'll give Robert Downey Jr. the the dancing role, the ladies' man. I think they would bounce off each other so well. I mean, anything those guys are in, I thoroughly enjoy. 
And man, this would be a great remake. I mean, they're remaking everything. So I might call right. Hollywood right now and just be like, look, I got it. I, I got the movie. Let's roll. We did this game on my other podcast and I chose Robert Downey Jr. And my sister was giving me shit. She was like, he's like 60 years old. It's Robert Downey Jr. Doesn't matter. He can pull off 30 still. It's fine. Tom Selleck looks the same age from 1985 to 2000. So, I mean, what's the difference? Have you seen Blue Bloods? He looks the exact same. <laughs> well, actually, I, I had a chance to retool mine. So I would have gone with Joey Gordon-Levitt, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Channing Tatum. Oh, a pr- bunch of pretty boys, huh? Well, I mean, you got to think, like, back in the 80s, you had Ted Danson from Cheers, Tom Selleck, Magnum P.I. Like, the ladies loved these two dudes. And you had Gutenberg, who's already Mahoney. And so he already had some weight in the films already. And so these are all just guys on the come up, you know. Jake Gyllenhaal, he's got the ability to make that mustache happen. So I'm going to put him in the Selleck role. I'm going to put Channing Tatum in the Gutenberg role. And then Joey Gordon-Levitt going to bring up the rear with Ted Danson. Because I think when those moments happen, you know, the biological mother and father, Joey Gordon-Levitt can pull that off better than both of those two. I've been a JGL, Joseph Gordon-Levitt fan forever. And when Angels in the Outfield came out, this was 1994 or five, I believe. You know, at the end of your fifth grade year, you you don't do shit, you just play board games. So I had never seen this movie. I'd never even seen the little Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this. And they put the movie on. The first scene this kid's in, everybody looks at me. Because me and Joseph Gordon-Levitt looked identical (laughs) to the age of our life. Like... (laughs) I mean, it was just I had the same haircut, the same look. I don't know, man. I I got to show you a picture of it, Charlie, because it's a little weird. I'm an actor, so uh, I'm a bit of an expert on, uh, well, nothing, really. Um, but I do know what it feels like to get attention. I've been lucky in my life to get a lot more than my fair share of attention. And uh, I'm grateful for that because, like I said, it's a, it's a powerful feeling. I just remember everybody in class looking at me going, Rylan, that guy looks just like you. Awesome. I love it. I love it, man. But yeah, that, that was the recasting, guys. Man, I appreciate y'all playing this game with me, guys. Andrew, it's always fun to play a little game, so thank you. You are entirely welcome. And now, let us all go to my house for a little sponge cake or a little wine and... and shit! To the lumberyard! Now that you kind of discussed the mustache itself and, and Selleck. I was kind yeah. of thinking uh, in the background, the one guy right now, if you want to go based on ability to pull off the mustache and, and that character, it would be Idris Alba. He yeah. has everything that Tom Selleck did back then as far as like the mustache. He can, he can rock that thing just like Selleck did. So if you want to go like pound for pound, plug and play, potentially throw him out as a uh, Selleck replacement. Yeah. It's like Idris Elba and a baby. <laughs> I am aware of the effect I have on women. I would go watch it. All right, guys. We've been fucking around too long here, guys. It's time to start talking about why we're here, why we're even talking about movies or even being on this earth. Because we watched a film created by Monty Python, and it's called The Meaning of Life. Tired of questioning your own existence? Not much happening at the moment, is there? Now, in a special limited offer... Oh, you've never seen the undercut before! The meaning of life can be yours. Yes, it's all here. In a new, unabridged translation by Monty Python. I mean, what's it all about? Philosophy. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Is that a sport? No, it's more of an attempt to uh, construct a viable hypothesis to uh, explain the meaning of life. Including why you were born. 
And what are you doing this morning? It's a birth. Wonderful what you can do nowadays. What do I do? Nothing, dear. You're not qualified. Why things don't always work out. The mill's closed. We're destitute. I've got no option but to sell you all for scientific experiments. What dreams mean. Wouldn't you like to know? Makes you sick, doesn't it? Why people who don't speak your language want to hurt you. Why you like sex. Sex, sex, sex. Where were we? How to talk to waiters. Ah, good afternoon, sir, and how are we today? Better. Better? Better get a bucket or a throw up. Where diseases come from. Hello, uh, can we have your liver? Fat? You know, it's, uh, it's reddish brown, it's sort of, uh... Yeah, yeah, I know what it is, but I'm using it. And why we've all got to go sometime. This is Mr. Death. Well, that's cast rather a gloom over the evening, hasn't it? They haven't said much about the meaning of life so far, have they? Don't let the meaning of life Why are we pass you by. You ever wanted to know what it's all about? Nope. He's got really weird. Let Monty Python oh, explain it all for you. In the film that proves once and for all that there is death after life. Shall we take our cars? Why not? Yes, why not? The meaning of life. Is there heaven and hell? Do we reincarnate? So where are we going to start with this film, guys? Uh, I mean, there's there's two basic avenues, I guess, you can take. There's the Gilliam route or the Monty Python route. First time you saw Monty Python, uh, when and where? I had a friend way back in the day that was into Monty Python stuff. And honestly, I think it was late 80s, early 90s where I watched like the Holy Grail and the Life of Brian. Yeah, my first was Holy Grail. What about you, Ryland? What was your first exposure to Monty Python? It was sixth grade. Uh, I had a really fun history teacher. I think he was just a huge Monty Python fan and he wanted us to watch this movie. His excuse being a history teacher was, well, actually, the Holy Grail's pretty accurate historically <laughs> they make fun of everything but there's really some historical accuracy in this what makes you think she's a witch well she turned me into a newt a newt i got better Burn already! which really it was just an excuse for him to sit there and watch monty python and i as a kid loved it the bunny scene the black knight to me it's just classic monty python that was kind of my first introduction of british humor which is definitely different mm. Well, let's have a look at this one leg of yours, then, eh? Yes, 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 yes. Well, this is nothing to worry about. Oh, good. Yes, there's a lot of it about, probably a virus. Uh, keep warm, plenty of rest, and if you're playing football or anything, try and favor the other leg. Oh, right there. My first was Holy Grail, and, you know, as as movie nerds, you know, we can all kind of relate, especially as a younger fan. You hear people talking about something, and you're not aware of it. You just want to know about it, right? And so you, you, yep. you seek it out yourself, you reach out, and you find this information, you find this entertainment, so that later on you can socialize with these other people about the thing. I've dealt with it many, many times. You just have that urge to just want to know. 
I had a couple of friends who were big Monty Python fans, you know, and they would talk in Monty Python quotes and they would just make themselves laugh. And they'd be laughing about shit, like, how is that funny, you know? And so I kind of educated myself about Monty Python, the three movies, the flying circus, and then later on in the career when they went to the stage primarily. And so I've always had my ear to the ground with Monty Python, but this would be my second viewing of this film. And it was just as fucking weird as it was the first time I watched it. Now, as the sexual excitement mounts, what's funny, Biggs? Oh, nothing, sir. Oh, do please share your little joke with the rest of us. I mean, obviously, something frightfully funny is going on. No, honestly, sir. Well, as it's so funny, I think you better be selected to play for the boys' team in the rugby match against the Masters this afternoon. Oh, no, sir. The meaning of life is, is more kind of true to what their brand was as far as, like, doing sketch comedy in a way. It's kind of little one hits one after oh, another that's exactly how i viewed this film was just a series of bits yeah it feels like each cast member of the troupe in a way has their moments to shine and I, it feels like some of them kind of owned certain parts of this movie and i love how some parts are kind of gross out humor and others are kind of slow burn and more intelligent humor and stuff and and you kind of run the gamut of all different layers of things that can be funny and, and I just love how they can change it up from different scene to different scene and, and still kind of loosely yeah. tell their their meaning of life story or whatever. Hello, good evening and welcome to the middle of the film. <laughs> Welcome to the middle of the film, the moment where we take a break and invite you, the audience, to join us, the filmmakers, in Find the Fish. The songs and, and the iconic characters that come out of this. I like this this type of movie, and I don't feel like I see it as much anymore, like Kentucky Fried Movie. The popcorn you're eating has been pissed in. Film at 11. And Amazon Women on the Moon that all had, like, the individual little stuff throughout. Mm -hmm. To me, you don't see it almost at all anymore. One reason why this is far and away my favorite of their work kind of hits you and then keeps hitting you and keeps hitting you until the, the credits roll. There were some parts where it was kind of over my head. There was other parts where I'm like, oh, yeah, this makes total sense. You know, the, the Mr. Creole scene, me being a waiter and being in the service industry my whole life, a bartender, it hit me on a different level. I liked how it kind of starts at birth, goes to the end. It's all these mini skits. And these guys, they work off each other so well. Their comedy is genius, in my opinion. The Meaning of Life, Part 5. Live Organ Transplants. Yes? Hello. Uh, can we have your liver? What? Your liver. It's a large uh, glandular organ in your abdomen. You know, it's, uh, it's reddish-brown, it's sort of, uh... Yeah, yeah, I know what it is, but I'm using it. What's this, then? I live it on his card. Need we say more? No! Listen, I can't give it you now! It's just in the event of death! Oh, oh. No one who's ever had their liver taken out by us has survived. Just lie there, so it won't take a minute. Ah! It doesn't really hold up to the holy grail to me. But it was definitely enjoyable. And, and I still haven't caught Life of Brian, which I do need to watch, too. He is the son of God, our Messiah, king of the Jews. That's Capricorn, is it? Uh, no, 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 that's just him. Oh, I was going to say, otherwise there'd be a lot of them. By what name are you calling him? Uh, Brian! We worship you, O Brian, who are Lord over us all. 
Praise unto you, Brian, and to the Lord our Father. Amen. Obviously, they're trying to give you how life is and, and the stages of life and all that's understandable for sure. But some of the skits, I'm like, what's what's the meaning here? Like, what's really happening? In the middle there, that weird fever dream part, oh like the guy with the wiggly arms and then another little weird creature comes out. I seriously had a moment where I was like, this is weirding me the fuck out. Like, <laughs> I wonder where that fish has gone. You did love it so. You looked after it like a son. And it went. Wherever I it go. Is it in the cupboard? Yes, yes! Wouldn't you like to know? It was a lovely little fish. And it went wherever I did go. It's behind the sofa! Where can that fish be? Have you thought of the drawers in the bureau? It is the most elusive fish. And it went wherever I like this weird fever dream part of this movie and, and it was there's was so much weirdness to it that that is kind of endearing as far as monty python's feature film career there's three major ones you have your holy grail the life of brian and then at the tail end you have monty python's the meaning of life which they've had years to hone their craft and i've always been a fan of later work of anybody that wants to put out work because it, it means that this should be in theory some of the best stuff, you know, to come out of that camp, you know? And I completely agree with that statement in this film. First time I watched this film, it was a friend of mine who was taking film theory in college. So he was very hipstery. You know, he was always looking for the, you know, really offbeat films, those weird films. And Meaning of Life was definitely one of them. What he did to me when we watched it was he fast forwarded through the the crimson of Herman and Assurance. So I didn't even see that the first time I watched this film. And so when I watched it, I was like, what the hell is going on with this movie? In the bleak days of 1983, as England languished in the doldrums of a ruinous monetarist policy, the good loyal men of the Permanent Assurance Company, a once proud family firm, recently fallen on hard times, strained under the yoke of their oppressive new corporate management. That was directed by Gilliam, and then the rest is directed by Terry Jones, correct? Yep. Gilliam's direction in that kind of had me laughing right off the bat, a little bit more than some of the other stuff that, that Jones was doing. It had this Ben-Hur kind of reference, and these old men getting pushed aside by this young corporate thing, and then it just takes off into this fuck pirate kind of thing, and, and it, it was hilarious. But it was so strange to start a movie that way to me. I was like, this is the troop. This is kind of what they do. I know Monty Python's out there. It is kind of odd, because that seems, in a way, completely separate from the rest of the movie. The style is so different. Like you said, it is Pulp Gilliam, as far as the way that he he does it. It looks a lot like that Baron Munchausen movie and, and Time oh. Band. It, it feels a little bit awkward in the context of the other segments. And from what I read and understand, they basically kind of gave him carte blanche and then he just kind of took, I guess, as much money as he could and kept fleshing it out and fleshing it out. And it's hilarious, but it's so different from the rest of what the movie is. Yeah, the set pieces are amazing in that first yeah. part. Pretty high budget for a 15-minute intro, you know? Yes. <laughs> and then on top of that, like, I can imagine, like, a child watching this portion and not having any idea what the hell is going on. <laughs> yeah. But as an adult, I was like, immediately got it. I, I understood the allegory. I understood all of it. And, and that's, again, what I realized watching it a second time was it was all the things were, were clicking into place. Like, everything they were trying to say that I didn't get the first time 
was all making clear sense to me. As the sun sets slowly in the west, the outstanding returns on their bold business venture became apparent. Once proud financial giants lay in ruins. Their assets stripped. Their policies in tatters. So after the opening, we get to uh, the Terry Jones side of the film, and that is uh, starting out with the fish. You know, uh, which is another great allegory of just, you know, why are we here? <laughs> like, why are fish here? You know, it starts out with birth, of course, and the hospital scene's pretty comical. <laughs> They're trying to impress a guy who doesn't know shit. I like the machine that goes beep. <laughs> it's very farcical. But at the same time, they're making a commentary on the medical industry. And I love that. So that's kind of the ebb and flow of this entire film. Because after that, you get to the Catholic family and the every sperm is sacred. I love that song. Every sperm is sacred. Every sperm is great. If a sperm is wasted, God gets quite irate. They're trying to educate you. And that's what I got from it was I learned a lot more about Catholicism and Protestant religion through this film because they basically just spelled it out for you. That uh, third world country and it's like Yorkshire. <laughs> that's definitely, like I said, it's British humor. And me being older now, I, I can get it. But, you know, you show this to a 16 year old Rylan, he's going to it's going to be way over his head. This movie is definitely for adults and, and people who have been through some shit and been through life. I mean, because the, the film is they go from just sketch to sketch. And they, it's basically the the life cycle, and so it's from birth. You know, you, you grow up, you have your adult years, you have your you know your twilight years, and then eventually death. We could go through them each one by one, but I, I would love to know what each of our personal favorite segments in the film was—not a moment, but the actual sketch itself. And which member of Monty Python overall do you think shined in this film in particular? Uh, Andrew, you go first. Let's hear yours, buddy. I would, I, uh, I struggle with it because there are certain things I like in a lot of them. Any of the the big musical numbers that they have in this, they stick with me and they have stuck with me forever. Ever since I saw it, every sermon is sacred. Obviously, is is hilarious, but the galaxy song and how scientifically accurate most of that <laughs> song is, and how much work he put into it, but yet it's still a catchy tune. Just. Remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving and revolving at 900 miles an hour. That's orbiting at 19 miles a second, so it's reckoned a sun that is the source of all our power. The sun and you and me and all the stars that we can see are moving at a million miles a day. In an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour of the galaxy we call the Milky Way. Christmas in Heaven, I can't get that out of my head. I love the weird routine that they do at the very end to close out this movie with that odd elaborate dance number and how much money I guess they're wasting to have the angels with the extended wings and how ridiculous, how elaborate and just the whole scene of that whole finale. Any of the dance numbers, I, I think I'd have to go with any of those. There are moments of humor with throughout the whole movie, but to do those and have them be earworms, but yet funny too, I think that takes an extra special talent. So I would go with any of the dance numbers within the, the movie. It's Christmas in heaven, there's great films on TV. The sound of music twice an hour and 
Jaws 1, 2, and 3. John Cleese is great in everything, and I think he's fantastic in this and the specific roles that he plays throughout, be it like that headmaster character or the waiter within the Mr. Creosote. He owns everything he's in, and he's really good. And you can tell that at this point, I think you mentioned it earlier, all these guys... They're honed in their craft, but they're also, at this point, pretty good actors, too. Graham Chapman, he nails it and all the specific roles that he plays. But I might have to say Michael Palin. I think that his stuff is fantastic. Every sperm is sacred. That's great. Looks like medical experiments for the lot of you. (laughs) Exactly. Just even though the weird little drill instructor, the really absurd scene where he basically stole the guy's leg and he's wearing the tiger suit and it's so ridiculous. He's great. Why are you dressed as a tiger? Hmm? Oh, why? 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 Oh, isn't this a lovely day today? Answer the question. Oh, we were just... Well, uh, um... actually, we're, we're dressed like this because... Oh, no, that's not it. Oh, we did it for a lot. Part of a spree. High spirits, you know? Simple as that. Nothing more to it. And throughout the movie, I think he's fantastic. Even the little roles he has, I guess I'll give it to him. Although I think that this is them at their very best when it comes to individual performances and them acting as well as staying funny and staying true to themselves. So, Like you see troupe films, like I guess the one that comes to mind. A comedy troupe that has a famous director attached to them is the Jackass crew. After a while, they hated each other. They couldn't stand to be in the same room with each other. But it seems like the, the camaraderie really built over time with the Monty Python camp. Like, the egos didn't get in the way. They really just wanted to make a good product. It really shines in this film. But Ryland, do you have a favorite scene in this film? And what member of Monty Python do you think stole the show? But favorite scene, I'm probably going to have to go with the guy who decides to choose his own death, which, you know, <laughs> <laughs> came out of no... I mean, you do get to see the scene where he's procreating, teaching the young kids uh, what sex is about. Wife just walks in, gets naked. <laughs> it's very awkward. You know, you don't see that in cinema today. And then the scene, of course, where the guy's running from all these topless hot chicks that he just jumps off the cliff. I, I thought that scene was enjoyable. But, the, you know, the one that really stuck with me was the Mr. Creo scene. I have the law. A wise choice, monsieur. Ah, no. How would you like it served? All uh, mixed up together in a bucket? Yeah, with the eggs on top. But of course, avec des oeufs frites. Yeah, don't skimp on the pate. Oh, monsieur, I assure you, just because it is mixed up with all the other things, we would not dream of giving you less than the full amount. In fact, I will personally make sure you have a double helping. And I actually looked it up. Even Quentin Tarantino has said that that's like one of the most grotesque scenes he's ever seen. And, and like I said, me being in the industry so long, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but like in a good way, you know, I was just like, oh, that's so disgusting and somewhat real, but so over the top and ridiculous. If you can't handle throw up or gagging or any of that, that's not the scene to watch. But uh, the, the, I love when the, he walks in and the little fish go, ah, oh, shit, it's Mr. Creel. <laughs> <laughs> like there's just so many little tiny things in this that, that make me giggle yeah i think the actor i think andrew nailed it michael palin there's something about him i'm kind of a big eric idol fan and, and john cleese is probably the most recognizable out of the troop this movie was michael palin i think he he stole the show with his characters there's no more work we're destitute come in my little loves i've got no option but to sell you all for scientific experiments no no that's the way it is my loves Blame the Catholic Church for not letting me wear one of those little rubber things. But I want to say my favorite scene is the crimson of Herman Insurance. 
I thought that was just the most amazing scene and it really set the stage for what was coming later. Watching the entire film, I couldn't really see anything that topped that particular scene visually the way it was and uh, the message they were trying to give off. I love the yuppie jokes, the old guard versus the Reagan man. You know, it's such a dated joke, but it's so funny. The young urban professional, you know? Yep. A letter from the 60s. Dear Mom and Dad, we reject the system. We don't trust anyone over 30, so watch out. The times, they are a-changing. Welcome to that new age. They call themselves yuppies. After watching this film the second time, I thought this was Terry Jones's film. Terry Jones is the king of the... He kills me every time with that shit. Uh, in particular is that find the fish scene. Like, it's so incredibly ridiculous. And then the female Terry Jones, it kills every single time. Just that nagging British wife. He does that perfectly. Oh, I've worked in worse places, philosophically speaking. Really, Maria? Yes. I used to work in the Academy Francaise, but it didn't do me any good at all. And I once worked in the library in the Prado in Madrid, but it didn't teach me nothing, I recall. He was also Mr. Creo. I think that Terry Jones absolutely owned in this film, in my opinion. I wasn't expecting to find the meaning of life in this film, but I love that the overall message is that, you know, you have control of your own life. Speaking of the ending, you know, I love how he's sitting in the chair and they, they give him a book and he's like, all right, the meaning of life is, you know. Uh, <laughs> try and be nice to people, avoid eating fat, read a good book every now and then, get some walking in, and try and live together in peace and harmony with people of all creeds and nations. I want to say, I, I know that you loved the ending on this one, Andrew, but my favorite ending of any Monty Python film is The Crucifix. Always look on the bright side of life. When I saw that scene as a child, I got it, and I thought it was the funniest thing. I was telling my friends at school the next day, and I was trying to explain it, and they were like, why is that funny? Cheer up, Brian. You know what they say? Some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, don't grumble, give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. Aye. Always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the light side of life. If life seems it's such a strange film. This I love watching things that I that I probably never would have touched on, uh, because now it's making me want to watch the life of Brian and, and finish off you know this troops trilogy kind of thing. So. What are you guys going to rate it? we got to go through ratings. What are you going to give this, Andrew? One out of ten. What's your rating on Meaning of Life? It's it's not a perfect movie. I would go an eight out of ten. I started watching this movie when it was like early DVDs and you'd only have like five or six and you'd just run through them all the time. And I know you said this is the second time you've run through this one. I've watched this so many damn times that I'm like, all right, I know the next scene coming up is going to be the French waiter that takes you on a long winding road. I know. I, I love that scene. He's like pouring his heart out and then he kind of gets offended out of nowhere. Like, well, fuck you then. You see that? That's where I was born. You know, one day my, my mother, she put me on her knee and she said to me, Gaston, my son, the world is a beautiful place. You must go into it and love everyone. Try to make 
everyone happy and bring peace and contentment everywhere you go. And so I became a waiter. Me being a server for so long and him trying to explain the meaning of why he does what he does, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> are, you, um, are you a fan of British comedy? I'm a fan of comedy. I wouldn't say that I'm a British comedy fan. You know, I liked SNL growing up, of course. That kind of where you do a little skit to, to do something, then you go on to the next thing. I always love that style. The hive mind kind of yes. style. You see it in this movie, and I, I appreciate not only the fact that they are putting it all out there, but these are also like guys in their 40s that are doing this, and they're all so committed to the bit. That kind of adds a layer to me. That's what I guess makes me appreciate what they're doing, especially now that I'm you know, in my 40s myself. Makes me, at this point, even when I watch it again, appreciate it even more. You shouldn't have said that, sir. You've hurt his feelings now. Don't mind me, Splash. Toft is all the same. One minute, so please and thank you. The next, I'll kick you in the teeth. Yeah. Oh. Let's not give him the cake. I don't want any cake. Look, Blackett cooked especially for you, you bastard. Yeah, he saved his rations for six weeks, sir. Sorry, I don't mean to be ungrateful. I'll be all Agreed. Uh, Ryland, what would you give this film out of ten uh, stars? You know, I'm going to give it a solid... Seven, 7.0, just based on originality, like Andrew said, like the balls to do this kind of thing. I mean, it's one of those movies where I would say you've got to see it, but the rewatchability really isn't there for me. I commend these guys for putting something like this out there. It's pretty unique. So it was fun, enjoyable, but I don't think I'll catch it again. I don't think it had enough punch to me to, to revisit. I firmly believe that if you watch enough Monty Python, you will circle back. I thought of this film way higher than you fellas. But also, this is the kind of film that really tickles my fancy. You know, like just the oddball film. I mean, starting from just the lack of opening credits, that immediately caught my attention. Just them fucking with the medium. That right there just automatically made me think, great movie. And so that gave it some serious points. I always hold those in high regard. I'm going to give this a 9.3. All right. It flows really well. The, the hive mind is there. You can see it on the screen. Just that creative bubbling. This is a project they really wanted to do. They didn't have to. They were already set. But something they really wanted to get out there. It, it's such a rare type of film. And that right there gives it serious credit with me. So, yeah, 9.3 out of 10, guys. Uh, but, yeah, guys, that was... The meaning of life. But uh, before we go, I wanted to give one of my movie nerd things that I, that I picked up uh, down my journey. And that is, if you ever wanted to explain British comedy to somebody, the easiest way to do it is reference the scene in Animal House where the guy is playing guitar for the ladies on the stairs. And John Belushi comes up and he doesn't like what he hears. So he just grabs the guitar, smashes it, gives it back to him and says, hey, sorry. <laughs> the difference between British comedy and American comedy is that they would play the exact same scene, but the hero is the guy playing the guitar. I gave my love a cherry that had no stone. I gave my love a chicken that had no bones I gave my love a story that had no end I give 
Sorry. Ah. All right, guys. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. That does it for this week, guys. Andrew, thank you so much for taking some time, cutting it up with us, and talking Monty Python. And we'll see you on the feeds. Thank you, guys. For Andrew Edwards and Rylan Johnson, my name is Charlie Thompson, and we have been spitting the real shit. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah. Yes, how are you doing, Mr. Creole? Better. Better yeah. bring a bucket. And so I wake in the morning and I step outside and I take a dipper.